0: middle school going yay or nay no okay awesome so for those of you that are new with us we've been uh into this series on christ the healer we started way back at the very beginning of the bible in the book of genesis and notice things about the character and nature of God, the very names that were given to him in the beginning of Scripture. We've been following that story all the way up through the ministry of Jesus, who obviously had an extensive healing ministry and was kind of God with skin on doing these healings in person. And uh, so now we've started the journey into uh, what was the next phase of the healing ministry of the Christian movement. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, Um, What was healing going to look like for the early church? So uh, this question that kind of hung over the disciples, I think, at Jesus' grave was, was this the end of an era of healing? Or was it more of a passing the baton forward to his followers? So clearly we looked in the book of Acts last week and we saw um, that Jesus was still healing, right? That ministry was continuing to move forward. Um, as they continued to announce, it was going to be a part of this announcing of the kingdom of God in this world. So, in the days following Jesus' ascension, his followers were miraculously filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given the power and the compassion to continue to heal other people. We looked at several encounters last week where the disciples went up to lame people and said, Get up and walk. Um, it said that they continued to do many signs and wonders uh, among the people, and it got crazy. So I want you guys to open up uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 5. It's page 1556 in your pew Bibles. We're going to be in Acts for a bit, so don't don't close up shop after we're done with this section. Just hang in there. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed by just somebody's shadow sometimes, okay? So we're talking about some unbelievable stuff that's going on. Now, all of this was happening in just a few months after Jesus' death, um, and pretty much just in the region of Jerusalem in like the early 30s A.D., so the question still exists is like, is this ministry going to continue to go on? Or was this healing just meant for a season? Was it kind of like God's a strategy to kind of grow the numbers of the early church by doing these miraculous things? And then when that was done and the ball was kind of rolling, then no more miracles, okay? So to find our answer to that question, we've got to continue to roll the story forward a little bit. Now, as we move in Acts, we're introduced to this Pharisee, this religious Jewish teacher, an expert in the Old Testament law named Saul. And Saul um, is a guy who's vehemently opposed to this Christian movement, and he's actively persecuting the church. And Saul is on the way to Damascus one day to persecute uh, the Christians there, and the resurrected Jesus meets him on the road. And um, as a parting gift for this encounter, um, he leaves him blind and sends him into the city of Damascus, where he was going to be blind for three days. And as the story goes, Saul's sitting there, Jesus uh, appears to this other Christian named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go and heal Paul, Saul at that time, right? And so this is where the story picks up. We're going to look in Acts chapter 9, so just flip over a couple of chapters Verse 17, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples. Uh, I'm sorry, back up there, 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after that, taking some food, he regained his strength. So I wonder if Ananias had ever done anything like that before, or was that the first time that he was ever used by God to heal somebody, right? It had to be a pretty miraculous um, experience for him, but ultimately Saul experiences God's healing power very early on in his faith experience. And so I'm wondering, I'm sure it left just this unbelievable imprint on him and his life. And I bet he's thinking, like, is God going to use me to do something like that one day? I mean, that's what I would be wondering if I was in that moment. Could I be used to do something like that? So somewhere between chapters 9 and 14 in the book of Acts, Saul becomes Paul and sets off on his first missionary journey out into Jesus is sending him out into the the Gentiles so the non-Jews in the Mediterranean area and this is about 15 years after his first encounter with Christ okay 15 years that's quite a bit of time right it's like the entire length of how long Wellspring's been here and so it's enough time where you have to start wondering again like is the whole healing thing a thing of the past or is it going to continue on into the future as well so we have to remember that Paul is going to a people who had never heard about the death and resurrection of Christ or his life in general, his teachings. They'd never seen evidence of like what the Holy Spirit can do as it moves in power uh, in people's lives, healing them from the inside out. So nobody really had a concept of what he was going to be talking about here. So let's turn over to Acts 14. We're starting in verse 8. It says, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So like we discussed last week with Peter and John's first healing in Jerusalem that we we looked at. Paul makes a concerted effort to see the man in need. And we talked about if we're going to be involved in this healing ministry that God has for us in other people's lives, that we really need to see people and we need to connect with them. And he says that he saw him and it said that he saw that he had faith to be healed. And I'm not sure what that look was that that Paul knew, yeah, this guy believes But but Paul is very bold in speaking healing to this man. He immediately says, Hey, get up, you know, take your mat, stand up and walk. And the the lame man, for his sake, he believes it so quickly that he jumps up and immediately believes, starts putting into action the healing that was spoken over him. So as we continue to follow this road and this story forward, now we're gonna fast forward the tape about twelve years later in Paul's ministry, and he's heading towards Rome. And he gets uh, shipwrecked on this island called Malta. And this is like about 28 to 30 years after his initial encounter with Christ and Jesus' death. So this is in Acts 28. If you want to turn over to there now, it's page 1597, Acts 28. So it says, this is on the island of Malta, which is just south of Italy. It says, there was an estate near, nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So again, we, we just looked at a story where it said that, the, that Paul could see that the man had faith, right? Here we're, we're looking at a story where we're talking about Romans, he's, officials that he's talking about here, that go in and to heal the father in bed, somebody that probably had really never heard about Jesus, probably had no faith in God, but Paul heals him as well. So last week we talked about just like how it's really kind of hard to pin down who gets healed and why as we look through scripture. But I hope you noticed as we read through that, um, that there was a lot of we and us language in that passage. And so we have to remember, first of all, who was the author of Acts? Luke, thank you. And what was his uh, profession? He was a doctor, okay, and he was with paul okay on this trip that's why he's saying we and us all right so luke was with him and in verse nine it uses a different word than we've seen a lot of times it says that the people were healed but verse nine says that they were cured and my guess is that luke was a part of that healing ministry with paul like using his skills as a doctor to help bring healing to the people on that island And so the point of this is I think that the, the ministry of healing can look a lot of different ways. Some may have this actual gift of healing, like where they lay their hands on people and people are miraculously healed through them, okay? Other people have skills and knowledge, maybe in the medical profession, that helps them bring physical healing to people. Again, God has given them those gifts and that knowledge. Some people have this this training in emotional and mental healing through maybe being a counselor and they help heal people through that way, or people providing spiritual healing to others through mentoring or through spiritual friendship, all of us can have a role in God's ministry of healing others. It's just gonna possibly look a lot different person to person, okay? So 30 years after Jesus' death, 30 years on an island, a long way from Jerusalem, out in the middle of the Mediterranean, God's healing work continues to be on display. And one of those first names we looked at uh, back in the Old Testament that talked about God's desire to heal was Jehovah Rapha, which means "I am the Lord who heals you." Okay, and and one of the things we also saw about God is that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God didn't just heal at one time; He's healing now. And he's going to continue to heal that's his nature it's who he is it's what he does it's his character it's not something that he does per se but it's who he is and so we see paul's belief in this ongoing nature of healing and this ministry of healing when he starts writing letters to the early church that he established so he would go and establish a church and then he would go off to other cities to start other churches but he would send letters back to those folks to kind of continue to train them we have to remember that there were no bibles back then New Testaments, right? So anything that they were learning about the faith was by word of mouth or whatever Paul wrote down for them um, that they could pass on and understand. So his letters were incredibly important. And in those letters, he was not only talking about, um, you know, just the ministry, the good news of Jesus, but he was trying to explain to those converts how they were going to be Jesus to other people, okay? And so he talks about the different spiritual gifts that are given to the body of Christ. For the glory of God and to bring others to Christ as well. So, we're going to take a look at uh, a section of his letter in 1 Corinthians. So, if you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12, it's page 1636 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at uh, verse 4 through 11. to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So what stands out to you from that passage there? Any words, phrases, or just ideas? Yeah, Justin. I just love how they constantly goes back to saying it's the same God and the same spirit. So, like, people don't have this idea that, like, one person's better than another. It's like, no, if you have a different gift to me, there's no difference between us because it's the same God that works and lives. And yeah. So he keeps coming back to this idea of it's the same spirit. So if you have this gift or that gift, it's not any better than anybody else. It's It's the same spirit that's in you, that's in the next person, right? Not a better version because you've got this better gift, right? Same spirit for each gift. What else? Yeah. Yeah, the diversity of the gifts is, is broad, right? There's so many different kinds. This is not even the complete list. There's other letters where he talks about other gifts. Um, and I, I hope you notice that uh, it says that to each one was given, right? That means everybody who is in Christ, a follower of Christ, has a gift. God has given you something just like he's given every other person some gift for his glory and for the benefit of others. Okay? Anything else? Who does it say these gifts are for? What does it say? For the common good, good, okay? So, for the benefit of many, okay? Especially within the church, first and foremost, okay? So, some people then have a gift of healing. (laughs) And sometimes God just heals people miraculously, like, it's just his initiative. He decides he's going to do it, and he does it. Okay? Sometimes he does those things through and invites other people to assist in the healing process. He could use a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, a counselor, a pastor, just a normal just person. <laughs> but all those people have training and knowledge into helping people heal. Okay? I believe that I have that gift of healing at some level. I think when you hear that, I would have not said that 15 years ago because I would have only thought of the gift of healing being physical healing. (laughs) But now I understand a much broader perspective on things that um, God has equipped me to do that can help other people heal in a lot of different ways. And I would say that this is an acquired gift on my part. I feel like I have some of these gifts now because of the, some of it's the training uh, that I've done, the schooling I've been to, the books that I've read, the small groups that I've been a part of, the community that I've learned from and rubbed shoulders with. Um, a lot of it has been because of the own, my own hard work that I've done on my own healing of getting some understanding on some of the broken places in my life and how God wants to step in to redeem those things. And because I've been willing to do that work then I have this, this opportunity to help other people walk through that process as well, okay? But I also think that a part of that ministry, um, well, let me just ask you this. Um, I would also say that, that healing, if you look at Paul's life, huh, right, it wasn't his primary gift either, All right? Paul, first and foremost, was a rabbi. He was a scholar, Okay, his primary gift was teaching. And so you can see, though, that Paul believes that God can use him in miraculous ways outside of his comfort zone. And I think sometimes that we all have kind of our little boxes that we put ourselves in of, like, thinking that, oh, I've got this gift or I'm this Enneagram number. (laughs) God can't possibly use me to do something outside of that. But Paul really trusted God's power and his discretion to use him in whatever way that he saw fit. He was available, and he prepared himself to be used in some different capacities. So are you developing any new skills? Are you working on your own healing process so that you might be an instrument that God might use in the healing of somebody else one day? What new skills are you developing? How are you working on your own healing so that you might be somebody that God can use in somebody else's life? And remember, part of this is just praying that God would give us faith to believe that God can do miraculous things and that God could use us to do those miraculous things, right? So sometimes we need our faith to grow in God's power and who we are in Christ. The kind of faith that believes that, we can, that God can do bold things, that we can pray bold things for people and that God can restore any broken place in someone's life. Do we have that hope for our own life and do we have that hope for others and their healing as well? Sometimes we just need prayer about that. So I wanna, I wanna wrap up this little section of teaching here by shifting a little bit from Paul's ministry of healing to kind of his own personal journey on this topic with kind of this controversial passage that surrounds this area of his life that would desperately needed healing. So as we know, um, Paul had plenty of things that he needed healing for. If you read his letters and stories about his ministry and he was going from town to town telling people about Christ, a lot of times it was a hostile audience because he was confronting people who worshiped many gods or no gods at all. And sometimes going into a town where they made their living on making little statues and models of all these little gods and saying that there's only one God and that thing you're making is not it, that's a threat to your livelihood. And so when people's livelihoods were threatened, a lot of times they just beat Paul senseless and threw him out of the town and hoped that he didn't come back. And as you read through the stories, you see that Paul was left for dead multiple times outside the city gates, they thought, man, we, we've done a number on this guy, and, and he's going to be, you know, beat up pretty badly. So we know that there was always a physical need for him to be healed at, at almost any time. It was probably pretty pressing. But Paul's quest for his own healing is couched in this passage that we see in 2 Corinthians 12. That's a bit mysterious. So I want you to turn there, 2 Corinthians 12, page 1655. So earlier in this passage, <clears throat> Paul has been kind of talking about these great revelations that God has given him, right? He's, he's, he sees some things, he's done some things that he knows that, that most other Christians um, haven't had the same experience. He knows that God is using him to do some special things, and he's seen some, some things that God has opened his eyes to. So he comes off that conversation, which could kind of make him boastful a little bit, and, and if you wanted to, could be kind of arrogant, like, look at what God is using me to do. And so then he goes into this in verse 7 of chapter 12, kind of the second sentence there. It says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you read about this and study it, you'll see all kinds of opinions on what, what people think Paul's thorn was. Some people think it's like this chronic eye issue that he had. Some people thought that it was related to malaria or migraines or epilepsy or a speech impediment that he might have had. While other people think it was, wasn't something physical at all, he's talking about um, people that opposed him, an uh, individual person or a group of people. That's what the thorn was. So we don't really know the truth. <laughs> And in fact, the the fact that he left it intentionally vague, I think, is kind of helpful for us because we can kind of fill in the blank with our own thorns as well. So here are a few things to consider before we get more into the thorn topic itself. Did you notice at verse 7, it says this, I was given a thorn. I was given a thorn by God. And Paul understood that the purpose of the thorn was two things, to keep him humble and to keep him dependent on Christ and Christ's power in his life. Didn't mean that he wanted it there, but at least he had some sense of this is why, where it came from and, and why it was given to me at some level. And now this thorn was no joke, okay? It wasn't just a nuisance in his life. It says that it was tormenting him so it wasn't just like this thing's kind of bothering me or it's this pesky little issue that I'm dealing with he says this is tormenting me I looked up the word torment that means severe physical or mental suffering God gave him a thorn that's tormenting him this was an issue of real pain for Paul so Paul did what any of us would do if we had something tormenting us he prayed that God would take it away Right? All of us would probably do that, maybe have. Scripture says that he pleaded three different times, God, you know, take this thorn from me. Take it away. I'm sure his traveling companions, his missionary buddies, prayed for him as well. And I'm sure that Paul probably could have built up a really good case, just like we can when we're suffering and we're troubled by things in our life, for why he would be a better missionary if just the thorn was gone. Right? Right? God, think about how many more people that I could win for Christ if I just didn't have to deal with this suffering, if I didn't have to keep going to the doctor's appointments or, you know, be slowed down by this malady that I have, whether it's physical or emotional or whatever it was. Think about how much more work for you I could do, right? We can, we can rationalize and come up with a great scenario why spiritually this makes a lot of sense for God to just heal us of these things, Now, after reading a lot of the commentaries on this, I tend to lean towards the the theory that this wasn't a a physical condition at all. Um, I I really think it was more about an adversary or a group of people that opposed Paul, and I'll just tell you why. (laughs) He had so many physical conditions throughout his ministry Um, And he rarely, really complains about them. Sometimes he kind of gives a catalog of, this is all that's happened to me, but he doesn't really complain about that reality. He seemed to kind of accept the fact that getting beat up was kind of part of the job description for him, okay? But as you look over Paul's various writings, one thing that you notice is how many times he mentions the people that opposed him. And you can see that he gets really frustrated, and he calls a lot of people out by name. This guy was trouble to me here and, and you can see he's bothered Because these people are trying to discredit his ministry They're trying to defame his character And so he even devotes like whole chapters of letters To defending himself And his ministry He spent quite a bit of time doing that And I think Paul's pride was really hurt By those adversaries So I believe that we've all been given thorns in our flesh By God Because he desires for us to be dependent on him. And these thorns that we've been given are going to push against things in our life. They're going to push against maybe that desire for self-sufficiency or control. Our propensity to worry or be anxious or to be jealous or greedy or lustful for things that we want. Things we think we need to be happy. Do you know what your thorn is? or why God has given it to you? We all have them. Mine's pretty easy to navigate. I'm just really good-looking, like, God just made me so good-looking that it's just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Pride. Hey! Like, see how I made a segue there? Um, No, mine is pride, for sure. Like, from a young age, I was just cocky, arrogant, we've told the stories, I don't need to cover that ground again. Okay, Um, still am in a lot of ways. Um, And to keep me humble and dependent on Him in the midst of that, God has used people throughout my life and my journey to be a thorn in my side, to torment me. I didn't like how it felt, I didn't like how I responded to the adversity. What I really didn't like were the people that God chose to use to reveal the pride in me. I really didn't like that, right? Because we really kind of like to control the narrative, right? Lord, if you're going to reveal something to me, I'd really like you to do it in a palpable way that I I can kind of get on board with. You know, we can kind of work together and work on me together. God's like, no, I've got a plan for you. (laughs) And it's probably going to be something you're not going to like, And my poor reactions to those encounters as people confronted my pride um, cost me some things in life. But looking back, it was what I needed. I needed to be tormented for a season to understand the depth of my arrogance. And I'm grateful for it because it humbled me, it softened me, it matured me in ways that i mean i've changed so much from who i was 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago i love this quote i came across this week it says this pride in all of its manifestations is our most pervasive sin and the most dangerous to us spiritually anything god gives us to keep us humble and prayerfully dependent on him is a great gift even when that gift causes us pain And here we see clearly that God disciplines his children with affliction in order to protect them from having their joy destroyed by the sin of pride. Ponder that. Pain can protect us from pain, redemptive pain can protect us from destructive pain. Just leave that up there for a minute. Any thoughts on that? zap to you there. Yeah, Britain. I mean, that last sentence is just really powerful. Um, I mean, I've just said a lot of times when I talk about the suffering that I've endured through the, like, sin in my life, that I'm, like, thankful for it. But then every time I endure, a se- or go through a season of suffering, like, we fight and scratch and fall and not do that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she talks about just the hindsight that we can get, you know, on the on the backside. And here's the thing, like pain is only redemptive. <laughs> kind of like if we allow it to be. We well, can just go through pain and not have it be redemptive because you're not cooperating with God what God is trying to do in your life and you're resisting the lessons He's trying to teach you. Right? And then just stays in the destructive realm. <laughs> She's talked about seasons in her life where she has seen the redemption of some of the pain because she's cooperated. And I know Brittany well enough to know that she she leans into that. She works at it. She goes to counseling. She does the things she needs to do so that it can be redemptive. But then the next time that you're in pain again, you kind of lose sight of how redemptive that was (laughs) and you just, you know, get angry and frustrated and why do I have to endure this again, right? And so it's this constant cycle that we go through in life sometimes. Of learning how to deal with the reality that we've been given these these thorns, to shape us. Anything else from that? Yeah, Warren. I like the fact that you calls it a gift, mm. and that it's a great gift because I think a lot of times when we think of gifts, it's just like good things. Yeah. And, you know, things that benefit us instead of a gift that causes pain, mm-hmm. but it's a gift because it brings us back to him. Yeah. Leaves us dependent on him, and so it's just. A yeah Again, the, the direction is back to every time. yeah she, she says she said she loves the fact that it's called a gift right and what I'm just thinking as you're saying that is most gifts don't cost us anything yep. <laughs> this gift costs us something right and so it's hard to see sometimes something that costs you something being a gift All right? I would really encourage you to take a picture of that if you haven't yet and pull it out a few times this week and meditate on it because it's deep. I've been thinking about it all week. So the reality is, folks, is that God chose not to remove Paul's thorn. God chose not to remove Paul's thorn. And so Paul was going to have to figure out, how am I going to deal with that? And really, any time that we come you know, to this crossroads in our life, we've got two options one option is just to be a victim and just to, and we know where that leads it leads to bitterness it leads to just kind of being jaded and disgruntled right or we lean into it and see what god has for us in there and paul needed to trust that god's grace and power were best displayed for that season while an element of suffering continued Can you put that slide up there he needed to trust that God's grace and power were best displayed by that, for that season while an element of suffering continued. And that requires a lot of trust. It's like I said, otherwise, if you don't believe in God's grace there for us, even in the midst of the pain, then we just become bitter and jaded people. The posture that we need to have when we're going through these painful, you know, difficult times in our life is, God, what are you trying to teach me in the suffering? Not get me out of it and then, then you know, we can move on with my life. And No, it's, it's what do you have for me right here? In the midst of this torment, what are you trying to show me and teach me? We all want to fast forward the tape. We just want the pain to be done. <laughs> the hardest thing to do is to sit in the middle of it and to allow God to instruct us. Remember, remember, ugh, sorry. Remember Paul's um, famous prayer in Philippians three ten goes like this. He wrote, "I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death." I think a lot of us like like the first five words of that and wish it would just stop there. But Paul knows that the way that we're going to know a suffering Savior is that we're going to have to suffer also. That's the path towards Christ-likeness. There's no other path. But guys, we do all of that while also remembering this is that Jesus, this is what we talked about last week, Jesus has already given us the most important healing that we need. He has taken care of our ultimate healing. Our soul eternally is healed. So we can rest in that. That's how we can have this perspective shift like Paul had at the end of that passage in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember what he said. Paul was able to proclaim in the midst of the thorn that God wouldn't take away, I delight in my weakness in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I delight in them. He's not the only writer that spoke like that, right? James says, I consider it pure joy whenever you experience trials and difficulties, right? Pure joy, delight. Very different than a lot of times the posture that I have in the midst of suffering and torment, right? It's get me out, save me. Right? Not, isn't this awesome? I'm delighting in this. What might God be doing here? Right? It's hard. Guys, listen to this. Sometimes healing isn't removing the thorn, but helping others have the proper perspective on why the thorn may, be, may exist in their life. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes healing isn't removing the thorn. I'm talking about you coming along some side somebody else, okay, but helping others have the proper perspective on why the thorn may exist in their life. Maybe it's helping them understand, why, why might God have given you this thorn, <laughs> to help you be more dependent on Him, to help you be humble, and for you to be, connect, connect in relationship with him and to know him. Sometimes we want so badly just to go and to pull the thorn out and to relieve the pain. Lots of stuff here today, right? Um, I thought it was just such a great example of Paul dealing with just his need for his own healing in the midst of this ongoing story of healing throughout the church. And how do we, how do we handle that in our own life? How do we come alongside others who need healing as well? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Um, Man, lots of really challenging things there, God, for us to come to terms with the fact that a thorn has been given us as a gift to to push to the surface the broken, sinful, self-centered things in our heart that need to be changed and need to be redeemed so that we can be more like you. God, thank you for loving us that much <laughs> to not allow us to go on being arrogant and prideful, or jealous, whatever our issues might be. Help us to have a perspective on our suffering that leads to change, that, that leads to redemption. God, so that not only we can be healed and we can go through life not as a victim, but as an overcomer, triumphant, victorious, because we know in the end, Um, that you've got us, you've already redeemed our hearts. But God, so we need to be on that own journey ourselves so that we can also come alongside folks who need some perspective on their suffering and we can come to them from a place of of understanding, uh, from a place of humility, like, hey, I've been there, I've, I've gone through, I've seen times where God hasn't removed those thorns in my life. And this is how I navigated that so that I can come alongside and help you in your time of brokenness as well help us to be agents of healing lord we love you we pray this things in jesus name amen. amen would you stand with us as we close